You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Life in Christ, we walk through 1 John, written to the church for our joy, our holiness, and our assurance. Let me pray for us, and we're going to continue in 1 John uh, chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 5 through uh, 12 today as we are getting real near. We'll probably have two more weeks in 1 John, and then looking Towards the rest of the summer, we're going to spend uh, the rest of the summer in uh, the wisdom literature. So um, that'll be what we'll be doing, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Job. That's what we're going to spend the summer uh, looking at, uh, the way of wisdom. And by the way, wisdom is not a bunch of sayings, it's Jesus. So all summer long, we're going to be looking into wisdom literature, but we're also going to be pointing it all to Jesus, because He is the wisdom um, that they are all Pointing to. So that's kind of where we're going over the rest of this summer. And then as we gear up for the fall semester, we'll, we'll be uh, getting more information out about where we'll be headed then. But so the rest of this summer, um, I'm hoping to, to maybe allow you to hear from different voices over the summer um, throughout the, the Proverbs, the Psalms, Ecclesiastes, and Job. Uh, but today we're going to be in 1 John 5, 6 starting at verse 5 and going down to verse 12. And then we'll have two more weeks in this and we'll finish out this book. So let me pray for us and we'll dive in. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that we have been saved by your grace, Lord. That now that the spirit dwelling in us, our life is now defined by you and what your word says and by your mission and your purposes. And Lord, this is not a burdensome thing. This is a joyful thing. Because, Lord, as, we, as John has already taught us, that whenever we chase after the desires of the eyes and the desires of the flesh and the, and the pride of life, Lord, the things that this world provides, Lord, that it, it never goes well. We, we always end up empty. But, Father, you have saved us and you've given us a good purpose. Father, I pray today that as we see the testimony of who Jesus is, the cornerstone, the rock, the difference that, that makes us Christian and not just someone who believes God. Lord, that, that we would see that today and see you for who you are. And if we're, if we're in Christ today, that we will see it and rejoice even more that all that you have done for us. Lord, if we, we don't know you possibly today, then maybe today is the day that you, your heart will be changed and you put your faith in, in him. Lord, I pray that, that you would do that. I cannot do any of that. I cannot do that for anybody sitting here, or anybody that might be watching, but your spirit and your word can do that. And that's what we trust in. That is what we trust in. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, John taught us about the, the nature of, of faith. He pointed us to the object of our faith, which is Jesus Christ, the author of our faith, which is God through the, the experience of being born again. And the effects of our faith is that the fact that if, if you are born again, you will love the Father. And if you love the Father, then you will love his children. So it's kind of, you know, John hemmed us in. It's just like, okay, if you experience the new birth, then these things are going to be true of you. 
And again, that's what John's been doing all the way through this. He wants us to know that we are saved. He wants us to know that we have assurance of our, of our salvation. But he's also throwing up red flags all over it. Like, okay, is this just somewhere where I'm sliding into sin every once in a while and, and I'm not seeing this fruit in my life? Or, or is he throwing up the really big red flag and saying, wait a minute, am I, have I truly experienced a new birth? Have I truly am born again? Have, do I truly believe in, in Jesus as my Savior? That's kind of what John's been doing all through this book for us. He's challenged us. He stepped on some toes, and, and he can, but he's continually and always trying to reassure us of our faith. And I said he kind of summed up the whole Christian uh, message here in 1 John 5, 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. It's a real good summary verse of not only what He's teaching us, but that's how we come to face the nature of our faith. So the, the wonderful truth that we took home with us last week, that this faith, the faith that, that we receive from being born again, that we put our, our trust in Christ, it overcomes the world. And again, John described the world as, right, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those things that stumble us, those things that are in the world around us that we, we tend to gravitate to because we're, we, yes, we are, we are saved, but we're being saved, and one day we'll be fully saved. So we live in a fallen world. We live in this flesh. And sometimes temptation overwhelms, but there is grace. We sang about it to start with. It is grace that you're saved. It is grace that you are being sanctified by. One day, one moment at a time. This truth that our faith, being born again, overcomes the world, is restated in a question form in verse 5. This is kind of way that John is going to transition us into what he wants to talk about next. He, he asked this question in verse 5. He says, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That's a question. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The answer to that is nobody can overcome the world unless they do truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He's getting something very specific here. Jesus is the Son of God. Throughout the epistle of John, he has given us certain things that are essential to the Christian position. And we must hold them and practice them all together at the same time. So again, like, like I kind of said last week, where, where we see Paul's writings, he usually does it within his whole epistle. He'll start like the first several chapters. He'll tell you who you are and what, what God has done. And so now that then he turns the page and then he says, now, because of who you are and because of what God has done, not you know, to muster up your own effort, but because of all these truths that are about you and who you are, now this is what God expects you to do. This is the ethics he expects you to live in. This is the morals that he expects you to have. This is the love he shows. John's a little bit different. He kind of just, he just mixes it all in. And, and a lot of times when you're reading First uh, John, you're reading it in a circle. Right, so he's already told us some things, and now he wants to circle back around. He, he ended us with saying that if you love God, then you'll love the brothers and sisters in Christ, those that are his children. And now he's going to transition with this question right into, okay, now I'm going to give you some hard doctrine. I'm going to give you who Jesus is, and I'm going to give you these testimonies, these witnesses of, of who Christ is, that he is the Son of God. 
Because what he's already said is if we do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then we're, we're believing amiss. If we're believing amiss, we don't have eternal life. That's what John's heart is. Because remember, there are some false teachers that got into this congregation that John's writing this letter to. And he wants to correct that. And, and for us sitting here, there, there's all kinds of different beliefs. And, and we've talked about a little bit of those here and there sprinkled throughout our time and John. So there's some things that he wants us to hold and practice together. He, there's some truths and there's some practices he wants us to hold together. Love of God, keeping his commandments, love for the brethren, and correct doctrine about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the correct doctrine about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is of central importance. Again, if we get that wrong, we're you know, it's just kind of like taking the, the, the slight wrong turn and, and you, know, you think you're going down this path, but you took the little turn and then all of a sudden you end up, you know, over here in the weeds somewhere and you're, you're way far away from where you wanted to be. But in what John's trying to say is, you know, this path, this narrow path is the way to eternal life. And if you get who Jesus is wrong, well, you're, you're not going to end up with eternal life. That's why it's a central importance that we know the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and who the Word of God says He is. If the whole basis of my victory, let's just bring it down to you. If the whole basis of my victory and my overcoming the world is that I have faith in Christ and lean upon Him, and if I am to look to Him and rely upon Him, then it's important for me to know that I know that I know John says this all over, all over 1 John. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, I want you to know, little children, it's important for me to know that I can truly rely upon him, that I can truly reply, rely upon Christ. I can truly reply on Jesus being the Son of God. If I am in any doubt about at all about him, then of course there's no prospect whatsoever of my overcoming the world. I must be absolutely certain of this. I must be absolutely right about him. The whole of the Christian position rests entirely upon this doctrine. There's no such thing as Christianity apart from Jesus, the Son of God. To be a Christian does not only mean to believe in God. There's, there's a lot of people. I bet you if we did a poll, I know that when the college students does it over uh, on the campus, it comes up, you know, almost 100%. Do you believe in God? Yes. Well, you better ask the next question. <laughs> what God do you believe in? Right? What God do you believe in? So believing in Jesus as God and, and who he says he was is so vitally important. It's what makes Christians Christians. It's because Jesus the Christ, he is the Messiah. He is the one that came to overcome the world, to take away our sins. The, the deepest and darkest problem that all of us have is the sin and the separation we have between us and our heavenly Father. See, an Orthodox Jew believes in God, and so does a Muslim. <laughs> and there are many others who believe in God. The thing that makes Christians Christians is that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's just read our text. 1 John 5, 6 through 12 says this. This is he who came, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. 
If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. This is back, if you think back John 8 that I read, this is what Jesus was saying. It's like, okay, you Pharisees, you accept the testimony of two or three witnesses, which goes back to Deuteronomy, which I'll eventually get to. But this is what he's saying, that you, you accepted that testimony to be true. Well, Jesus was saying, it's me and my father are testifying. So there's two here that are testifying that I am truly the son of God. And, and then what John is doing here, I, I think because John was there to hear that discourse. So John's unpacking it mainly because there's some false teachers in amongst these other believers. But it's also for us so that we may know that we know that we can trust in Jesus Christ, the son of God. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. This is verse 9 again. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. See how it's all wrapped up in the son of God? Verse 12, whoever has the Son has the life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So in many ways, you can look at these verses as you think about you're in a courtroom setting. Right? And it's easy to imagine that way as you read through this, as John continually brings up these different people that are going to testify about who Jesus is. There's some form of the Greek word, uh, martis, translated testify, testimony, or give testimony, occurs at least ten times within these short verses. So you can, that's why you can see that it's, it's real easy to, to, to bring into what we know about a courtroom where someone's, someone's testifying, someone's giving a testimony about who Jesus is. So if we think of it that way, John's just going to bring witnesses, one after the other, to show us. So that we know that we know that we know that Jesus is the Son of God. And and our faith putting in Him will lead to eternal life. And just a quick note, just something you might want to jot down if you're notes, if you're a note taker. Maybe this is something that you already know. But many times as you're reading through Scripture and you pick up on the same word over and over again within a passage, within a block or a chunk of Scripture, that quite often that repeated word is, that's what the, the author's trying to communicate. So that's why we see this word testimony or testify 10 different times. He's trying to communicate. I have some people lined up here that's going to prove my case that Jesus is the Son of God, so to speak. And that's what he's doing for us. So John places in the dock several witnesses who will testify to the fact that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God who gives the gift of eternal life to all who trust in him. Gives the gift to eternal life. No other Jesus but the Jesus of the Bible can give the gift of eternal life. None other. The first witness that John calls to the stand is the witness of Jesus' baptism. The word water occurs four times in verses 6 through 8. Some see this as a reference to the water of physical birth, which is, okay, that makes sense. The water that, that, that flowed from our Lord's side when he was pierced on the cross, John 19, remember? Whenever they pierced him, water and blood both flew, or came out of him. Or even the two sacraments or ordinances of baptism, water and the Lord's Supper, which is blood. Because they go together here. He's talking about water and blood within these verses. However, I, I think if we look at the, it, and I agree with 
the majority of the commentators that, that if we look at the historical context and exactly what John is trying to refute within you know, his congregation that he's writing to and these, these Gnostics and specifically in Serinthus who is, is one that he taught that here's what happened. Jesus was born of Mary and Joseph and then whenever he was baptized by John the Baptist that the Christ, the Son, entered him and then when he got to the cross right before Jesus died, he left him. So that means that the person that died was just Jesus, the human being that was created by Mary and Joseph. So that's kind of the the idea behind what this false teaching was. Now, if we know our doctrine, if we know about the cross and everything, that's just, that messes everything up. That means that, that if we trust in that Jesus, we will not have eternal life. Because that Jesus, that Jesus that was just human and not fully God, could not be the perfect sacrifice to take away all of our sins. And we'll reiterate that here in a little bit. But that's, the, the, that's why I'm going with what I, I believe is the interpretation of the water and the blood. Is, is because I think that John's had in mind these folks that were given these false ideas about who Jesus was and is. So, again, I, I think it's refuting the false teachings of his baptism, but abundant him on the cross points strongly in the direction that John had the baptism of Jesus in mind. Jesus' baptism is found in, in all four Gospels. So when he talks about the testimony of the water, he is talking about the baptism, but he's talking about it in a different way than, than, many, than, than was Serenthus, who is, is the false teacher. Um, and it points strongly in the direction that John, again, had Jesus' baptism in mind by John the Baptist. Jesus' baptism is found in all four Gospels. Here the triune God is revealed and Jesus is anointed for his public ministry. Again, we're, we're listening to these testimonies. So the first one is the water of his of his. Baptism. Matthew 3, 16 through 17 says this, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The Father's declaration combines words from Psalms 2 and the Messianic, the, a Messianic Psalm with Isaiah 42, 1. The first of the servant songs within Isaiah. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is indeed the anointed son who will be a king. However, he will be a suffering king, a servant king. He's not a political king. That's what, that's what all the Jews and even his disciples wanted him to be. He was waiting for him, him to, to throw out the, the Romans and, and take charge of everything. And that's just not who he was sent to be. He's the suffering king, a servant king. This is the witness of his father at his baptism. He is the son of God who is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So this is the water testimony. At his baptism, everyone heard this thundering voice from from heaven saying, This is my son. This is my son. The second witness that the apostle calls to the stand is the crucifixion of Christ represented by the word blood. When Jesus Christ died on the cross as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world, his father again provided sufficient witnessing 
concerning the event. There was darkness across the land from noon until three o'clock. And the certain of the sanctuary, uh, sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. And the curtain that separated man from God was ripped in two. A number of Old Testament saints were raised and appeared to many as the first fruits of resurrection life for all who trust in Jesus. See, if, if Jesus was just a, a mere man hanging on the cross, there were, there were two men, men of flesh, hanging with him. If he was just a mere man, would any of this have happened? This is the testimony that, that the blood gives. His death was not an accident. It was not an act of martyrdom. It was a divine saving substitution for sinners with redeeming value and worth. This is why we must get it right. Look, look how it all falls apart if we believe in Serenthesis did. It's, it's so relevant. It, it'll all fall apart. If he is not fully God and fully man when he takes his last breath, that he did not forgive us of our sins. He was not the perfect atoning sacrifice. It's relevant to John because these are some of the people that were in the congregation and left. So he had these people that were teaching and then they left. So he had people with confused ideas about who Jesus is. Again, as I explained earlier, these people were, had the idea that, that Jesus and uh, that Jesus was the son of Mary and Joseph. And then at the baptism, the Lord came upon him. And then he left before the crucifixion. That's what they were, they were teaching. Which makes everything that we believe, um, as far as his atoning work, it'd make it invalid if, if that was true. And we know that it's not true. And this is what John's trying to show us. He's trying to give us this testimony that Christ was the son of God. Jesus, who died, was the the Son of God. This is so important. This is so important if we go back and look at the, the Old Testament. Because there were some things that, that were happening that were pointing to this event, right? So, so if you just, just refresh your memory, back to, clear back to Genesis 15, when, when God's making a covenant with Abraham, right? He's making a covenant with Abraham. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Remember remember the story God told him to bring some animals and cut them in half and, and line them up. And this was just a, 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 a way that they made covenants back then. Now we sign documents. They made covenants this way back then. Right? And, and what happens is both parties walk through, the, they cut animals, and, and that means that that if I renege, if I fall back on my covenant, my end of the deal, then I become like these animals cut in half, right? So, so you get the picture of what, what is happening here. And God, God told him to bring the animals. And then we read in verse 12, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Again, this same word is, is fascinating. A deep sleep fell on Abram was the same words in the Hebrew as was for Adam whenever God was going to fix something with Adam and the fact that he was going to be alone and no suitable helper was found for him, that he, he caused him to go into the deep sleep to create woman. Woman is the fix for, for, for so much of this. 
Um, I can't get into that. I, I can't wait to go back and reteach that because um, it's just fascinating what I've learned about how much that event and how the, the connection of the woman and the covenant marriage is, is, it just points us to the glory of God and, and all that he truly um, was starting back then, back in Genesis, and is going to fulfill at the, at the, uh, at the new heavens and the new earth. It's just incredible, and it just made my heart sing for the, the importance of, of our, our women and, and, and the importance of, of, of they are to God and everything. It's just incredible. And let me get back to what I'm trying to say here. As the sun was going down again, a deep sleep fell on Adam. And what happened? When the sun had gone down, it, it was all dark. Behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to, all, all, to your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And this is a, a picture. This is a picture of the gospel. See, Abram never went through the cut animals. God went through the cut animals. You know what he was saying to Abram whenever he did that? He means that I'm going to fulfill both ends of the covenant which is all pointing us to Jesus Christ on the cross. He's going to fulfill both ends of the covenant. If you think of Abraham's, Abram's life, right, what was the other thing that he was waiting for? Not only the promised land, but he was waiting for a son and heir, so that, right, that he may have as much offspring as, as the stars in the sky. And what happened to Abraham? He had to take his son up to the, what, to the top of the mountain, and he's holding the knife up, and what happened? He didn't sacrifice Isaac. He, God provided the sacrifice, all pointing to Jesus. It's all pointing to the fact that if we believe this false doctrine that, that God was not God when he died on the cross, then all of these promises within the Old Testament, and there are so many more pointing us to Christ, none of them are true. Because God all along said, I'm making a covenant with you. You can't keep it until I circumcise your heart, which he does through the new birth. And then I will help you, which is part of the new covenant. I will help you keep my commandments. And oh, by the way, how am I going to do that? I'm going to sacrifice myself on the cross. I will fulfill both ends of the covenant. That is good news, brothers and sisters. He's going to fulfill both ends of the covenant. You know, we're, we're no different. We are today waiting to go into the promised land, are we not? Are we not a people waiting? We have promises one day that we will be in the new heavens and the new earth. Whenever we're, we're looking at our Old Testament and we're, we're seeing that, that, you know, that, that Israel was waiting to go across the, the river into the promised land, that's where we are. We are waiting to go into the promised land. We are waiting to go see the new heavens and the new earth one day. And we know that he is faithful because he took Israel across the river and one day he's going to come back and get us and take us to that promised land. That is good news. That is, that is wonderful hope that we have. And the way that we're going to be able to enter the promised land, and the only way that we can enter the promised land, is through the blood of the Lamb. Through the blood of the, the Son of God. By the blood of the Son of God who fulfills both ends of the covenant. I, Howard Marshall, says this, As soon as we reduce the death of Jesus to that of a mere man, so soon do we lose the cardinal point of the New Testament doctrine of the atonement, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. The doctrine of the atonement means that God himself bears our sins and shows that the final reality in the universe is his sin-bearing, pardoning love, 
But if Jesus is not the Son of God, his death cannot any longer bear this significance. It is so important. This is the Jesus that we believe in. Jesus, the Son of God. That he truly was man and he truly was God. From the day he was born to the day that he went to be at the right hand of the Father. So those are the first two witnesses. The third witness that is invited to testify to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God is the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says the Spirit provides a consistent and continuous witness that Jesus is the Messiah. And he does not so because the Spirit is truth. That's what 1 John is saying to us. And that's what has been said in many other places. That the Spirit is truth. He's going to lead us into all truth. So this is John's third witness. You have the water, the baptism. You have the the blood, the, the, the crucifixion. And now you have the Spirit testifying. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. That's what they're all testifying We know in John 15 that Jesus said as much. Here's what he said of the Holy Spirit. But when the Helper comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, here it is again, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. He will bear witness about me. Jesus summarizes the Spirit's work in John 16, 4. He will glorify me. It's, it's, it's one of the, the, the main roles of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's, it's, you know, it's kind of like that progressive uh, commercial with a guy with the arrow and a sign, and he's twirling the sign. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. He's always pointing us to Jesus. He's always pointing us to, the, to glorify Jesus. That's his purpose. That's what he does. As we read his word, and, and he shows us, he's pointing us to Jesus. He's pointing us to Jesus. The threefold witness of the water, the baptism, the blood, the cross, and, and the spirit agree. And again, this goes back to Deuteronomy, right? So, so John's using, again, just like Jesus did with the Pharisees. And in John 8, he's using what God already established that when there's two or three people, they, they can become a witness to what is true. So what is, what is John calling upon? He's calling upon the water. He's calling upon the water of the baptism and the, and the cross and the, and the blood of that and, and, the, and the testimony of the Spirit. And he's saying, okay, I have three that are testifying to you that Jesus is who he said he was. He is the Son of God. Deuteronomy 19.15, just so you have it. One witness cannot establish any wrongdoing or sin against a person, whatever that person has done. A fact must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. John continues his parade of witnesses, calling to the stand, at this point, the strongest witness of all, God the Father. God the Father. 1 John 5, 9 through 10 says this, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. Stop and think about the weight of that. So if you're denying that Jesus is the Son of God... And sometimes we won't do that with our lips, but we'll do that with our actions because we quickly forget all that he has done for us. 
But, but again, that's why I think he's really trying to refute this, this wrong teaching about who Jesus is and, and the fact that, that, you know, that he came and, and left and all that. I, that's why I really stuck at it. He's, he's saying, look, God himself said, this is my son. We know that the testimony of God is indeed greater. It's a superior in source, status, and significance than the testimony of any human person on the planet. If God says it, that's it. I mean, when God spoke, everything was created. He cannot lie. It's against his very nature. He is all truth. He is light. He is without sin. It is more reliable and trustworthy because it comes from God who cannot lie. Hebrews 6, 18. The testimony given by God is testimony. He has given about his son in verse 9. I think John is saying that the abiding testimony of Jesus' baptism, his crucifixion, and that of the Holy Spirit is God's historical witness that Jesus is his son. He is his son. And because of that, it demands a response from each and every one of us. It demands a response from each and one, every one of us. Neutrality or indecision is not an option. You just can't be partly a Christian. You either are or you are not. Either he is your Lord and Savior or he is not. He's just something that you've kind of created in your own mind to worship. We can't take the good things we like and give out the things we don't like. We can't pick and choose. The testimony shows that he is the Son of God. This is the only way. He is the atoning way to eternal life. That's what's at stake. Eternal life. Eternal life. Just because we're born in America doesn't mean that we're going to heaven. It matters so drastically. It really does. In fact, to not believe that Jesus is the Son of God is to not believe God and to make him a liar, is what John is saying. Because you have not believed in the testimony God has given about his Son. That's verse 10. John says that believing in Jesus as the Son of God is equivalent to accepting God the Father's testimony about his Son. To reject Jesus as God's Son is equivalent to charging God with perjury. In other words, you're calling God a liar if we denounce his testimony. Spurgeon says it like this. One word of God ought to sweep away 10,000 words of men, whether they be philosophers of today or sages of antiquity. God's word is against them all, for he knows infallibly. He knows infallibly. We are not infallible. We don't know everything. And many times that's what leads us to not understanding what's happening around us. But he knows it's infallible. And then John brings the, the whole argument full circle. Remember, we started at 1 John 5, 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. He, he comes around and gives us all this doctrine, and then he brings it right back to us. Who is his final testimony? It's us. He calls the last witness. Those that have been converted were his last witness. Verses 10 to 12. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. 
Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in the son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Crucially important. He ties together our outward confession of Jesus as the Son of God to the inner witness we now have within ourselves. Why? Because we're born again and His Spirit dwells in us. Because His Spirit dwells in us, His Spirit is truth and is pointing us to truth, to the testimony that Jesus is the Son of God. What we confess with our mouth, God makes real in our hearts. He makes real in our hearts. Paul said this as well in Romans 10, 9 through 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And Romans eight sixteen says this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So, so John's last witness is the fact that we are born-again believers. And that testimony should be on our lips. As Peter would say that we should always be ready to give a testimony for the hope that has in us. Because the Spirit is dwelling in us. The internal witness of God's Spirit in the heart confirms to the child of God that he or she was right to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Who alone gives the gift of eternal life. This eternal testimony or witness is the person personal presence of God in us. And it beautifully balances and complements the external and historical witness of the baptism and the crucifixion of Jesus, all witnessed by the Holy Spirit. He just makes a circle and brings it all together and shows you look at all these witnesses. John does not point us back to a prior experience. He leads us to look now, today, to a present testimony and a present witness and the fruit of your life. If you're abiding in Him, and as you walk and live the rest of this day and the days to come. Whom are you trusting today, brothers and sisters? Whom are you trusting today? Whom are you believing in today? Where is your hope and confidence today? Is it in Christ? If so, then rest assured that you have the Son and His gift of eternal life. Because eternal life, as John has told us, is found in the Son. Remember, Jesus says that He wants you to know Him, because if you know Him, you have eternal life. So whoever believes, verse 1 and verse 12, let me just close by reminding you what that means. What does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe that Jesus is the Son of God? First, it does mean to believe certain historical facts about Jesus. That's kind of what what John's testimony has been to us today. There's some historical facts that we need to believe. Many of the testimonies that we just went through. But believing Jesus is more than knowing true things about Him. It's more than being able to say true things about Him. Right? We can teach a parrot to say true things about Jesus. But we can't, a parrot cannot live out that faith. Right? There's a difference. There's a drastic difference in that. It means trusting him as living person 
for who he really is. It means trusting him with everything. Not whenever you're suffering, not whenever things are going bad. Yes, wonderfully, we run to him and to the cross. But what about in the good things? What about in the way that your child made you laugh yesterday? Are you trusting him and and giving glory to him for the wonderful gift of your children? See, it's just not whenever things go bad, oh, I trust him. No, it's everything that you trust him. Look, if, if this building today was used like this, if, if, if Nate and the praise team came here and they never sought God and they just used the gifts that was given them and I stand up here and, and put some words down and say that and, and all the teachers back here use their own ability and, and their, own, their own smarts and wits to, to teach the children and the welcome team did their things because out of obligation and none of it was done and it, and it can happen that way and it does happen that way obviously without ever acknowledging God we are to be most pitied because we no longer have a church. I don't know what we have. We have a a good social organization. But if we're not trusting him and relying on him for everything we do, every minute of the day, then we're missing what it truly means to trust in him. And we're probably pretty miserable too because that's how he has designed it. He wants you to communicate to him to pray with him, to be in his word, to see that you can trust him in everything and give him glory for all that he does. Believing in him is much more than trusting in his rescuing skills. It's the everyday part of life. Jesus came not only to rescue from condemnation, but also that we might enjoy everlasting life which means that we might experience all that God is for us in him. And brothers and sisters, that doesn't happen whenever we take our last breath or he splits the skies and comes and gets us. It happens the day that you're born again, you step into eternal life. Have you experienced that kind of life? Have you experienced that kind of life? That is eternal life. He said that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John 17. That you truly know him. He knows what we need far better than we do. We need rescue from the wrath of God. And we need a soul satisfying relationship with God. That is what Jesus came to give. It comes to us in one way only. By believing in him. A phrase at the end of Jesus' discourse about being in the vine has just really stuck with me for the last two or three months. It's challenged me. It's very fitting to what we've been talking about today. In John 15, 5, Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, now first John's been talking about abiding him all the way through. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So you abide in Christ, you trust him, you believe him, you bear much fruit. Your fruit's going to show you what's really going on in your heart. But here's the next phrase. And this is where I'm going to leave it with you. 
For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is what Jesus said. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And some of you might be objecting, like, oh, I can do all kinds of things. But what he's pointing to is, is the things that glorify God. The good works that he saved you for that Ephesians tells us about. Loving our brothers and sisters so that the others can see the love of God is what he's talking about. All things that give glory to the Father, give glory to God. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I pray that you trust him like this today. I pray that you trust him like this today. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you for your, your word, Lord. I know oftentimes it's hard to, to sit and listen to doctrine and truths, many of which we might check and say, yeah, I believe this. I, I believe this. I believe this. But Lord, I just know that you put it in here for us to read, to talk about, to teach through. So your spirit is working in ways that I don't even understand. And I'm perfectly okay with that. Father, I just pray that, that we see that, that Jesus was your son and you sent him because you love us to go to the cross, to take the wrath we deserve, to be the perfect sacrifice so that we may enter into a relationship with you, so that we may trust in you. And Father, I just pray that, that we do trust in you today. And if we're like, if we, if we know that we know that we're saved and, and, and we know these things, we know these things about Jesus, may we be challenged by what truly trusting him means. And that is that apart from me, you can do nothing. Help us, Lord. We ask for your, your help today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.